In the 80s, there was a uh, popular television show called Different Strokes. Are y'all familiar with that show? How many of y'all are familiar with the show? Okay, great. It was a comedy about two boys named Arnold and Willis. And the boy's mother had been a maid for a wealthy man named Mr. Drummond. And after she died, not wanting the two boys to return to the streets from which they came, Mr. Drummond decided he would adopt these two boys and raise them in his penthouse. And the whole show revolves around these two boys learning to live in the penthouse after having grown up in the streets of Harlem. And as many of you know who watched the show like I did, a lot of the the conflict and the, the comedy from the show comes from these boys when they bring the ways of the street into this new environment. And this was the this was the gist of the entire show. The whole show was about how difficult it, it is for these boys to rid themselves of these old patterns from the old neighborhood so that they can live in this new environment in the penthouse. And the reason I make mention of this show is because, believers, do you realize that we have a lot in common with Arnold and Willis? There was a time when we were in spiritual poverty. But our God has delivered us out. And He has brought us into His family and into His kingdom. And and not only has He delivered us out of this old environment, but Scripture tells us that He has given us a new nature. He has made us a new creation. Yet, Though that's the case, oftentimes old habits, old struggles, old troubles from the old neighborhood, from our old existence, show up and they affect our new life in Christ. And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. But before we do, I want to take just a few moments to explain to you, believers in here, how Christ has changed us. I want to explain to you what the scriptures say happened to you and to me the moment we gave our lives over to Christ because that will really help us when moving forward this morning. Believers, when you made Christ the Lord of your life, a tremendous change took place in you. A new you was made. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have these in your spiritual growth guide. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Pretty clear what Paul's saying here, right? If we are in Christ, We are a new creation. You are a new you. And I am a new me. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice in Galatians 2.20 that Paul makes mention of two eyes. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's the first I. And then he says, the life I now live, that's the new I, in the flesh I live, new I, by faith in the Son of God. Two eyes, Paul says. At salvation, the old eye was crucified, and now the new eye lives. And that new eye is Christ in me. So according to the scripture, if you're in Christ, you are a new you. As a believer, you have been crucified. And it's you that no longer lives, but Christ lives in you. Paul talks about this over and over again. He talks about the fact that we as believers are new creations with new wills. New minds, new hearts, new abilities, new knowledge, new wisdom, new understanding, new inheritances, new relationships, new loves, new desires, new citizenship, new, new, new. In fact, the Bible summarizes it like this. It says, we as believers have new life. New life. Paul says... In Romans 6, 4, we believers were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Believers, we are new. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. We are given a new life the moment we give our life over to Christ. That's why Jesus, when talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, referred to it as being born again. It's being born anew. It's a new life. Listen, folks, I want you to understand this. You need to get this. If you are in Christ, you are a new you. And I know what some of you are thinking already. You're thinking, well, if I'm such a new me and you're such a new you, then why do we continue to struggle? If we are new, then why do we, like Arnold and Willis, still struggle with our old problems from our previous existence? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, God doesn't leave us in the dark on this, folks. Like we've said in the past, Scripture clearly teaches that there is this already and not yet aspect to the work that Christ accomplished at the cross. Now, that doesn't take away in any way from the work that he accomplished. His work is not unfinished. It's not incomplete. Or he was lying on the cross when he said to Telestai, it is finished. So the work Christ did at Calvary, it's not undone. However, there are certain results from that finished work that have not yet been fully realized. 
have not yet fully come to pass. And we know this to be the case, don't we? We talk about this all the time. When we talk about our future existence, when we, when we talk about our future inheritance, when we talk about that future day, when we will see our Lord as He is and will be forever changed, when we talk about that future day, when we will live in a world without sin and suffering and pain and death in the presence of our God and King, we know that day will be, it's just not here yet, am I right? We know, like Paul, we're not yet what we will be, but we will be someday soon. We know You know, I know that there are things that we have already experienced as believers, yet there are still some things we have yet to experience in the future. And we're continually reminded of this, aren't we? As we read through the scriptures and as we live this new life with Christ while still having some of the same old struggles. We're reminded of this already not yet aspect to our salvation. And instead of me trying to explain this to you further, I'm going to appeal to someone much smarter than me. And forgive me for this lengthy quote here, but I think this will really help you. This is from R.C. Sproul. And in this article, he is explaining why believers who have been crucified with Christ, who are new creations, still struggle. Look at what he says. He says... As Christians, we are new creations. Our hearts of stone have been turned into hearts of flesh. Where once my heart was cold and dead to the things of God, now it throbs and pulsates with spiritual life. Once I was biologically alive but spiritually dead, now I'm biologically alive and spiritually alive as well. I am a new person. There is radical discontinuity between my new self and my old self. This radical discontinuity, however, is not total discontinuity. A link between the old man and the new man remains. The old man has been dealt a mortal blow. His total destruction is certain, but he is not yet dead. The conflict of the Christian life is a struggle with sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us if we're in Christ, yet... Sin is still in us, and Paul makes mention of this, does he not? In Romans 7, verse 17, in Romans 7, verse 20, you'll read that in your spiritual growth guide. Sproul says this, he says, Regeneration, which is just a fancy term for the work that God does within us that awakens us to faith and enables us to trust in Christ. He says, Regeneration liberates us from the bondage of original sin, but our corrupt nature is not totally annihilated this side of heaven. Paul speaks of the warfare that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Galatians 5.17 Well put. John MacArthur, when talking about this war that takes place between the flesh and the spirit, he used this illustration. He said, though we've been made new, it's like we have this smelly coat of 
humanness hanging off of us that our new nature has to endure until it goes on to be with the Lord or until the Lord returns. He, he says that, that when Paul talks about the sin that is in me, he's referring to these, these smelly garments of humanness that are clinging to him. Now, here's the thing. With smelly garments, we're able to peel those off, right? We're able to put them off. And and that's what Paul says do in this passage we'll read today. He says, put off the old man. That word put off carries with it that idea of peeling off dirty clothes. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, put off or put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. They both say, put these things away, put them off. And believers, you know as well as I do, this is not just a one-time putting off, is it? This is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment practice. This is to be a continual practice of ours. It's like with our kids, parents. I don't know about you, but I don't have to work too hard to dirty up my kids. They do that naturally. The struggle is to keep them clean. Am I right? The same is true in our spiritual life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4. We're finally back in Ephesians after a long break, continuing through our series through this book entitled Walking Worthy. And this morning, we are continuing where we left off in Ephesians 4, And we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24 this morning. And in our passage for this morning, Paul explains to us how to walk worthy by living as a new creation. He is going to explain to us how to walk worthy by walking in newness of life. First, he says this. To walk in newness of life, we must first not live like the godless he says don't live like the godless look at verse 17 paul says now this i say and testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do stop there for a minute i don't know if this is true of you or not but it's true of me when Someone is explaining to me how to do something. I want them to be thorough. I want them to explain to me what exactly I'm to do, the ins and outs of what I'm to do, and what I'm not to do. And Paul does that for us here, believers. He starts in this passage with the negative. He tells the Christians of his day, if, if you guys are going to walk worthy, if you're going to live like new creatures, here's what you're not to do. You're not to walk as the Gentiles do. Now that word Gentile is the Greek word ethne, and it just refers to a group of people. And I believe, I I don't really like the translation of Gentiles here because many people think Paul's referring to the Gentiles in a a national sense. But I don't believe that's the case at all. You know, some see see this and they take issue with this. They say, why isn't Paul calling out the non-believing Jews as well? Well, I believe he is. 
You know, I don't I don't believe he's picking on the Gentiles in a national sense, because if he was, he's going to undo what he said earlier when he's striving for the two Jew and Gentile to be unified. Right. That would kind of undo what Paul was trying to do there by saying, don't be like these Jews. Don't be like these godless Gentiles over here. No, he's not. He's not talking about the Gentiles in, in a national sense, but he's referring to all people who do not know God. All unbelievers, all those who are pagan and godless. Paul says something similar in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he encourages his readers to not act like the Gentiles, like those who do not know God, Paul says. Paul's talking about the godless here. He's speaking to both Jew and Gentile alike, and he's saying, don't walk like you once walked. Don't live like you used to live. Don't live like the godless. Well, how do the godless live? Paul tells us. Notice first, the godless are misguided in their minds. They're misguided mentally. Look at the end of verse 17. Paul says, they walk in the futility of their minds. Notice again here, we see how important it is This is a theme throughout Ephesians. We see here how important it is for us as believers to think rightly, for us to be correct in our thinking, because if not, we'll be led astray, right? Right thinking leads to right living. If we don't think rightly, we're not going to live rightly. Scripture teaches that clearly. Paul teaches that all throughout Ephesians. We learn here that our minds can lead us astray. Even the most intelligent of people can be led astray by their own intellect. You ever know someone like this? Smart person, but way off. Yeah. Someone who claims to have all the answers in life, and most of the answers they give come from their own head. They're always saying things like, well, I believe, in my humble opinion, which there's nothing humble about that normally, the way I see it, Know anybody like that? That's who Paul's talking about here. He's talking about people who look to themselves and only themselves and rely upon their own advice and only trust in their own opinions. Paul says the efforts of these individuals are useless. They're aimless. They're futile because man alone doesn't have any ultimate answers. One of the great thinkers of the 20th century was philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. And in his well-known work, Being and Nothingness, he said this. He said, and I quote, Life has no meaning. Before you live it, life is nothing. But it is for you to give it meaning. It's one of the leading philosophers in the 20th century. And his conclusion, after years upon years of study and observation, is there's no ultimate purpose in life. Sartre was truly misguided by his own mind. That's where you'll land, apart from God. 
I heard someone once say it like this. They said that a, that a man trying to find answers in this life apart from God is like a blind man trying to find a black cat in a dark room that isn't there. It's futile. It's, it's empty. It's, it's fruitless. That's the path of the godless. They walk in the futility of their minds. And this leads us to our second characteristic that Paul gives here of the godless. Not only are they misguided mentally, but they're ignorant of the truth. Now this sounds similar, but there's a progression. Notice there's this downward progression taking place. It starts out with someone being misguided in their minds, and as one continues down that path, they end up in a place where they're completely ignorant of the truth. Look at verse 18. Paul says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Paul tells us here in verse 18 that the further one goes down the path of trusting in their own ideas and following their own ways without God, the darker their understanding becomes. And they eventually get to the point where they're completely void of truth because the truth is found in God. Listen to how MacArthur put it again. Look at this quote. I like this. He said it like this. He said, When a person says, I will live and die on the basis of my own mind, I will be the master of my own fate, I will be the captain of my own soul, I will be the determiner of my own destiny, MacArthur says, you can be sure he's going to live his whole life in ignorance because man doesn't have any answers. If he cuts himself off from the life of God, if he alienates himself from the life of God, he tears out any possibility of ever knowing the truth. Why? Because the truth is with God, folks. The truth is revealed through His Spirit. The truth is seen in His Son. The truth is found in His Word. And a spiritually dead person going at life on their own, they neither see it, nor hear it, nor know it. They continue down the path doing what's right in their own eyes, which is counter to God's ways, and they continue to trust in their own opinions, which is counter to God's truth. Paul says to the Christians of his day, don't walk in this way. He's saying, believers, don't trust in your own opinions. Don't look to the advice of yourself or to men when when living your life. That's the path of the godless. Here's another characteristic. The godless are also hardened in their own hearts. Notice the progression. Misguided mentally, then ignorant of the truth, then hardened in their own hearts. Into verse 18, first part of verse 19, Paul says, Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous. Verse 19 says, Scripture is clear that When one makes a willful choice to go his or her own way and only trust in his or her own mind, when one sells out to this idea that his way is the right way, when one becomes his own God and continues down the path of the unrepentant and unregenerate, at times, God just lets him or her go. 
He gives that person over. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that there are times when God just gives the godless up and over to their own impurity. Remember, Jesus got to this point with the Jewish religious leaders of his day, didn't he? Who continually rejected him when asked why he spoke in parables. You remember what Jesus said about the religious leaders? He said, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Wow. They were so callous, so hardened to Christ that he just gave them up and over to their unbelief. And again, Paul is encouraging the the Christians of his day to walk in newness of life by avoiding this path, the path of the godless. He says, don't walk as you once walked, like those who are hardened and callous because of their own sin. Paul also says that as the godless continue down this path, they finally reach the point where they are completely and blatantly and unashamedly wicked. Look at verse 19. They have given themselves up to sensuality. In other translations it says, they are past feeling. What this means is, as the godless continue to go their own way, apart from and opposed to God, many reach the point where they're past the point of caring. Listen, when you go your own way, when you completely sever all ties with God, when you completely cut yourself off from the life of God and start down the path in that direction and don't look back, you can reach the point, Paul says, when you're past the point of caring. You can completely lose sight of any kind of standards, and at this point, indecency runs wild. That's what Paul's describing here. He says they've gotten to the point where they're past the point of caring. Into verse 19. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is just an an evil, vile sort of existence, isn't it? Listen to that again. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Again, Paul tells the Christians of his day and his greater Christian audience to not walk in that way. To not walk with those who are blatantly wicked, far past the point of caring. Paul says, that's the old life, believers. That is not to be your life. That is not to be your mentality. That is not to be your activity. You're to be walking in newness of life by not walking as you once walked like the Gentiles, like that segment of society who does not know God, who's past the point of caring. Look at verse 20. Paul says, that is not the way you learn Christ. Paul is showing us here that the Christian life is to look different than that. Folks, let me tell you, if these characteristics that we just discussed describe you to a T, that's a problem. Especially if you claim to be a follower of Christ. I would argue from Scripture that if you are given over to these things, if you are misguided by your mind, ignorant of the truth, hardened in your own heart, and 
completely, blatantly, unashamedly wicked past the point of caring, I would argue that you're not a believer according to Scripture. Though we still struggle, God clearly teaches in His Word His people are those types of people who are the opposite of this. God's people are those types of people who go another way. That's what Paul calls for in the latter half of this passage. He calls for his Christian audience and us, his greater Christian audience, the Christians of his day and us, his greater audience to walk worthy by walking in newness of life. And not just by not living like the godless but he also says walk worthy by living like christ that's the second point not only does paul say don't live like the godless but he also says live like christ look at verse 20 again in verse 21 paul says but that is not the way you learn christ Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is appealing to true believers here. He's saying, those of you who have learned Christ, those of you who are taught in him, you know that this is not to be your mentality and your activity. You know you're not to go a life on your own, believers, and be led by your own mind and do whatever you think's right. He says, you who have learned Christ, you know. You have been crucified with him. And the life you now live is to be lived under his lordship. That's the way we're to be living, believers. John said it like this. He said, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's 1 John 2, 5-6. There are some today who believe that they can be a follower of Christ and live however they want to live. They believe once you pray a prayer, once you walk an aisle, you're good. This verse that John gives us here completely blows that idea out of the water, folks. Followers of Christ, get this now, think hard here. Followers of Christ, by definition, follow Christ. Right? It's pretty simple. Now, do we mess up? Sure. At times we do. Do old struggles from the old life, do old issues from our old existence cause us problems at times? Yes, but the difference is we have a new nature. We have the ability and the desire to put off the old. We have the ability and the desire to resist temptations. Why? Because we're new creations in Christ and dwelt with the very Spirit of God. For the rest of this passage, Paul gives us a detailed description of what a life lived for Christ looks like. And notice that these characteristics are the polar opposite of the characteristics of the godless. 
Notice first that instead of having this self-centered emptiness, one who belongs to Christ and is living for Him has a Christ-centered purpose. Look at the end of verse 20 and middle of verse 21 again. Paul says, you learned Christ. Middle of verse 21, you were taught in Him. Like we said a moment ago, followers of Christ, by definition, follow Christ. They don't go their own way and follow their own desires. They don't trust in their own opinions. They learn Christ. They're taught in Him, and they live their lives unto Him, for Him. Their life is not self-centered and purposeless and aimless, but it's Christ-centered and purposeful. Second characteristic of a life lived for Christ is this. Instead of being ignorant, when it comes to the truth, God's people are to be knowledgeable of the truth. Many think that there is no truth to be found in this life. I read a t-shirt the other day that said, I'm abandoning my search for the truth and I'm going to settle for a good fantasy. Many are like this today. It's a mentality of many in our world. But we know better, don't we, believers? Look again at verse 21. Paul says, you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Listen, simple. You want to know the truth? You got to know Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. You want the truth, you got to know Jesus. That's what the scriptures teach. The truth, Paul says, is in Jesus. Jesus said this of himself, did he not? He said, I am the way and the what? The truth. He's the truth. And in him we learn what is truly true. Listen to what John said once again in 1 John 520 about Jesus he said and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and eternal life when you make Christ your Lord and are indwelt with the spirit of God and you follow Christ and you place yourself under his lordship and you allow yourself to be guided and directed by the spirit of God and guided and directed by his word, you come to know the truth. You come to know the truth. Truth about what? Well, truth about God. Truth about man. Truth about sin, creation, death, Life, the past, the present, the future, salvation, happiness, purpose, meaning, heaven, hell, faith, grace, everything. You become knowledgeable of the truth. There's another characteristic here Paul shows us in verse 22. Instead of being blatantly wicked, true followers of Christ are sensitive to sin and have the desire and the ability to resist sin. Look at verse 22. Paul calls for us to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The previous point we discussed, but as non-believers continue down the path of godlessness, many get to the point where they're past the point of 
caring when it comes to sin. The opposite is to be true for true followers of Christ. What we learn, believers, is as we grow in godliness, the longer we we follow God, the more sensitive we become to our own sinfulness. Am I right? The more clear our sin becomes in our own life. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are questioning your salvation, you need to ask yourself this. One, are you aware of your own sinfulness? Are you sensitive to sin? And not just the outward obvious sins, but are you aware of and even torn up by things going on in here and things going on in here? You have the mentality of Paul in Romans 7 when he said, O wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Are you sensitive toward and are you messed up by your own sin? And number two, do you have the ability and the desire to resist deceitful and evil desires? Do you have the ability to put off the old sinful self? Do you have the desire and the ability to put off the old man and put on the new? If so, I'd say that was a good sign. There's another characteristic Paul gives as well. The previous verses, and in the previous point, he he mentions that the godless have a wicked and reprobate mind. They're wicked in their minds, but in verse 23, he says that the godly are to have a renewed mind. They're to have a renewed mind. Look at verse 23. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The word renewed here means to create again. Believers, Scripture is clear that when you trust in Christ for your salvation, you become a new creation with a new mind. But because old struggles and old habits die hard and because we're not yet what we will be, we have to continually keep our new minds new and fresh and good. We got to keep filling it with good, godly things. Paul said this, Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is <clears throat> any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Fill your minds with good, godly things. Fill your minds with, with, Solid biblical songs. Fill your minds with books written by solid followers of the Lord Jesus. Fill your minds with God's word. Renew your mind. Put off your old self, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.22. And in verse 24, he says this, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me end with this. Maybe you're, you're here this morning up to this point in your life. You've been, you've been going at life on your own, following your own ways, trusting your own mind, trying to carve out a path for yourself in this life apart from God. And for the first time this morning, you've come to realize you're on the wrong path. It's a good place to realize that, by the way. But you may think because you've been on that path for so long, you're past the point of return. 
I have good news for you this morning. If you're thinking along these lines, I've got good news for you. You're not. You're not. As long as there is still breath in your lungs and life in your bones, it's not too late for you to change past. But let me warn you, okay? I don't want to sugarcoat things here. To change paths is costly. To get off your path and to get on the path that God has for you is very, very costly. It costs you your life. For you to walk in newness of life with God, you must first be made new. And the only way to be made new is for you to give your life up. To die to your old self. God is clear on this. For you to have a new life, you must be crucified with Christ. You must die to yourself by turning away from your old life, turning from your sin, turning your life over to God, and making His Son your Lord. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, I pray right now, Today be the day that your allegiances change. Today be the day of your salvation. Let's pray.